0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Thinking Aloud About Film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And we are continuing with our series of Mexican films that is being hosted by MUBI. It's been a wonderful series. I would argue that this one, the Skeleton of Mrs. Morales is one of the best entries in that, in that series. What did you think, Richard?
1: As with the others, it was a really fun film, but also this one was very you know, very visually striking, some very interesting compositions. Sort of, the, the writer had collaborated with Buñuel, and I think that's, that's clear, I think, from, from, from the film.
0: Tell us a little bit the, the plot before we begin to talk about the film itself.
1: It's actually based on a British short story, by Arthur Macken, who is a, a Welsh writer called the, the Islington Mystery. So the, the original is set in Islington. It's about a taxidermist, so the, this friendly, cheerful taxidermist with a nagging, overbearing wife. They don't get on. He ultimately uh, kills her. This is possibly discovered because he, for some reason, displays her skeleton in the window of his shop. Or what may be her skeleton, because she has a recognisable l- l- lower limb defect. And he's put on trial for murder. It's vaguely inspired by cases like Dr. Cripp and that kind of thing. I mean, It's a very black comedy. There's, there's some great humour in it. It's quite disturbing in places. Mm. Yeah,
0: it's good. I mean, I really love the tone of it. Arturo de Cordova, who is a really, really huge star, right? I mean, he's one of those Mexican actors who al- actually also had a Hollywood career, right? He was, uh, I think, under contract to Paramount. He, I think he was in Frenchman's Creek. But he's certainly one of the greats of uh, Mexican cinema. Also worked with Buñuel on uh, El, uh, The Criminal Life of Archibaldo de la Cruz. And he's fantastic, and he's in this film he's very jovial and good-natured and you know kind of everyone loves him right and uh, he's very patient with 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 his wife initially uh, he's, he's very much in love with his wife so the, the, the film has the stone of like kind of black humor where this person's joviality is hemmed in you know by uh, this wife he loves who is making his life miserable due to her religious convictions, but that goes beyond that, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I thought Amparo Rivelles, who was who also a very big star, she was a, a Spanish uh, star of the 1940s and made a, another huge career in Mexico. Um, she's very good at conveying. The manipulativeness of the wife, yeah, the her attempts to control and to dictate, and yeah, she comes across as kind of quite a bitter, nasty person, actually. Um, I mean, do, do you think that that makes the film misogynist?
1: I don't think so, particularly. I think that she's a very unsympathetic character. There there are sympathetic female characters in the film. I guess because you're led to sympathize with the murderer you could make that argument i guess there's a misogynistic element to that part of the plot but it didn't the tone of the film the film didn't really
0: come across that way to Mm. me but i I
1: guess it may be a problem for some
0: yeah it's an interesting twist on the gothic right because usually in those films you know it's a poor innocent wife a gaslit you know, and abused and, you know, threatened with murder and so on, right? A prisoner of her house or, you know, whereas this, it's almost like the opposite of that in a way. What do you pick as points of interest in in the film?
1: I, I thought the, you know, the visual style of it was, was very, very striking, you know, all these interesting angles and, and um, you know, the camera's always placed in an interesting place and just these very sort of surreal Images, you know, of the of the, of the skeletons because he's a taxidermist. You see all these shots of the stuffed animals or him yeah. stuffing animals and the bit with all the coffins at the end. I thought it was an amazing shot. That was amazing.
0: I mean, you know, to me, I found that th- absolutely thrilling. Every shot was was thought through and kind of an imaginative. Like, you know, in some shots, the camera was literally on the floor. You know, sometimes it was upside down. It wasn't doing it just to be fancy, but like those shots with Arturo de Cordova talking to the skeletons or surrounded by the skeletons, or, you know, they were just like fantastically kind of evocative, right? I thought it was a thrill to watch visually. And actually, when I when I when I saw this, who is this Rogelio Gonzalez who I've never heard of, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, to me, like the film is great fun. It's very funny, so it's very, very entertaining, right? And yet, it's also, like, incredibly imaginative.
1: He, he seems to have been a really, really prolific director, I think, sort of, seven, 70 or so films. I found a few, like, Wikipedia-type entries that just said, he's a Mexican director who made 70 films. Yeah, I know that, I can <laughs> see that. <laughs> Tell me something. But I can't find it. Yeah, maybe there's, there's perhaps, you know, writing about him in Spanish, which you you, you can perhaps find, but, but it, I... It, it, it seemed odd. I can't find other than a few pages about that refer to this film, largely referring to the film in the context of the Arthur Machen story. Um, I I can't find any particular references to the guy. Mm.
0: Well, you know, maybe this will spur them on because I understand from Wikipedia that this was voted the 19th greatest Mexican film of all time.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Uh,
0: and you can see kind of. Yeah, why that might be so? Maybe it's just that this film is a freak accident, or it might be that his work is yet to be kind of yeah,
1: or or he's just you know much much better known in Mexico than he is yeah anywhere else. Um, it reminded me quite a bit of the the Artura Ripstein films we we've seen, um, particularly with, like things like the Castle of Purity, where it's sort of all all taking place in in this in a house and there's a family with their old habits and their old rituals. It's sort of, you know, you, you, you could imagine this, be yeah, a Ripstein making, making the, the same film, really.
0: <laughs> Ripstein is more excessive and yeah, has a different yeah. tone. And actually, I think when we're talking about the influence of Buñuel, you know, you see that more in Ripstein than you see it in this film. Because, you know, when you were talking before about surrealist imagery, I, actually, I don't think the film, I mean, the film has macabre imagery But I don't think it's really surreal. Though I suppose there are things about the characterization of the wife and so on, you know, that do touch on the unconscious. You know, I don't see the surrealism really in this film. What I do see is kind of a great control of tone. So the husband is put upon, you know, he's a good guy. He he likes his neighbors. His neighbors think he's a great guy. Yeah, but the wife is waging a war at home that is nasty and that it's hidden to the point where she's telling stories about the husband that are not true, she's telling the, the neighbor's gossip about the maid and the husband that is not true, she's telling lies to her family, and she beats herself up to make herself seem an abused wife. All within a tone that highlights the humor rather than the nastiness of all of those actions is very difficult to do because one can, one can imagine a much much darker film, yeah, from this material. H- how does the story compare to the Machen?
1: The, the story is online, so we can, we can put a link to, to it in the, in the blog. And, and he, so Machen was a uh, Wikipedia describes him as a writer and mystic. He was also an actor. He was writing kind of macabre stories. He got very interested in the occult and mysticism. When you just read through his Wikipedia article, all these names like Lord Alfred Douglas and Wyndham Lewis and all these these kind of British figures like that all all pop up. He's also, Stephen King is a big fan of him. I knew the name, but I don't think I've ever read anything by him. The the best known work seems to be something called The Great God Pan, which Stephen King described as a a great work of horror. The story, I mean, it's actually, it's very similar and actually he has this sort of blackly comic, ironic tone to it that the film captures pretty well, despite there being quite a few differences. It's sort of presented as if this is a true story, so it's, it reads like someone is, is is writing an essay about famous murders. So starts off talking about real murders and. Successful murderers, i.e., ones that don't get caught and ones that do get caught. He talks about Crippen, talks about the madeline Smith case, sort of very other various other real life murders, and then it's like, oh, and then there was the mystery, the mystery of Islington, and basically the story is the same. It's it's, uh, it's set during World War One or just around that time in London. There's a cheerful taxidermist with an overbearing wife, <laughs> yeah. as in the film. People then notice the wife has disappeared. And he tells different stories to different people about where the wife is. And this obviously raises suspicions. The wife's sister, who's returned from abroad, reports her missing. A missing persons report is issued. The wife, as in the film, the wife has has a, a sort of malformed leg. So that's in the missing persons report. A medical student who has bought a human skeleton from the taxidermist, recognises that the skeleton he's bought has a very similar um, issue with the leg. Again, as in the film, he thinks the skeleton is the wife's skeleton. As a result, the husband's put on trial. The skeleton is the only evidence. And again, as in the film, there are inconsistencies with the skeleton that parts of the skeleton are from other bodies. Um, And the taxidermist, defense is he's just assembled this skeleton from human bones he has somehow acquired perfectly yeah. legitimately over the years and, and and is acquitted as again as happens in the film the the ending is different i mean i won't spoil the ending of the film which i thought was brilliant but yeah in in the story he gets away with it or well or, or maybe he didn't do it you know the story just says well maybe you know it's now years later because the story's written in 1927 set in about 1912 um, it's years later, and he's now living with his second wife, and he's very happy. Um, maybe he actually got away with killing his wife. Maybe he didn't kill his wife, and she'll just walk into the room one day. I guess we'll never know. Wow. And, and, and that's it. But it's, it's a, as I say, it's a, it's a fun story. It's very short. It's, yeah. it's uh, it, yeah, you know, makes you want to read more of his work actually, because I think it's very, very well written, and I really like the tone of it. It's kind of like those M. L. James stories where it, it's told as if it's just some guy telling you a story you know it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a piece of fiction
0: i really it's like it. the descriptions of the pentonville road <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> in that period so one of the things that i liked not just about this film but about the whole process of you know seeing so many mexican films recently is that you begin to recognize the actors and that that in itself becomes a pleasure uh, so in this case, it's Elda Peralta, the woman who um, works in the photography shop and sells him the camera. Then he goes to visit her and she evokes a different life that he could have had with children and light and, and so on. And of course, she's the actress, she was the, the star of Streetwalker <laughs> yeah, that, w- that we saw uh, in uh, this series. Uh, so for me, it's, it's one of those things that the more you know about any field, actually, it could be writing or a subject, but the more pleasurable it becomes. Yeah, because, you know, things get familiar. It's like
1: I don't know. And that scene with the children was interesting because it, up until that point, it sort of felt like it could have been a historical film. Really, there wasn't much to show you that you're in the present day. Um, the way people were behaving with the church and everything—it kind of felt like the twenties or thirties. And then suddenly he goes to the to the woman's house, and she has these two kids, and the kid, well, the you know, the boy's got a, a kind of space helmet and a an ray gun. So he suddenly goes, oh yeah, oh right, okay, we're very explicitly we we're in the nineteen fifties. Um, and it's so it's almost you know not just a different life he could have had. It's almost like a different, you know, she's she's the modern world, and his wife is is the past. You mm. know.
0: What did you make of the photography? Because that is also quite an issue in the film. The fact that he wants the camera and then, you know, what photography represents in the film because, I mean, he saves money for it, yeah, he forms a link with uh, the woman who sells it to him at a discount. But then there's that whole scene where he goes around photographing the neighborhood and the kids and his friends and yeah, and and you get the feeling that that photography is symbolizing something that the woman is repressing.
1: That whole aspect is is entirely invented for the film. Pretty much everything else is straight from the story, but that whole thing with the photography, the sort sort of affair with with the woman, which doesn't really happen, but that that's all that's all new.
0: I took it to mean or to symbolise his interest in the world, his interaction with the world, a a kind of a lust for life and wanting to capture it, that she not only represents the opposite of, but that she, in fact, tries to actively repress. Because I think it's after that incident of him photographing things that she breaks his camera, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's what prompts his... um, yeah, prompts him to kill to, the wife. Because yeah, anyway. it, it, it's a taking that life away from him. Oh. So,
0: so, so yeah. it's, a, it's a film in the style of those films that try to, you know, g- g- convey the perfect murder. You know, you can see contemporary, well, not contemporary, but American exile, like Double Jeopardy, yeah, would be the film. Yeah, it's something that the idea of Double Jeopardy is in this film. Yeah, so it has kind of all of those interesting tropes. But the tone is different. You know, and what I thought was so interesting about the tone is that it's both warm, yeah, you like this guy, yeah, and it's also macabre. I mean, it is about murder, right? So the thing about making a warm film about the perfect murder is kind of something I'm not... I, I haven't experienced very often
1: yeah which is interesting and, and uh, again this is something that comes from the story the, the story is very much about how how to carry out the perfect murder and the, the Crippen case which is the, the one he leads off with his, his point there is that Crippen would have got away with it if he hadn't tried to run away You because know, he, he was interviewed by the police because he'd given these inconsistent stories about where his wife was as, as does the guy in the film and the guy in the story um, and then was was panicked by that, ran away with his lover disguised as a boy, <laughs> um, and and was was subsequently caught being the you know the first murderer to be caught via wireless telegraphy, which is a great
0: fact. <laughs> um,
1: did you know this story? Uh, uh, um, no. Crippen was having an affair with his secretary, killed his wife. As I say, was interviewed by the police because he'd given these inconsistent stories about where the wife was, but the police decided there was no no evidence. Uh, but he he freaked out ran away took a boat to to the states was spotted by the captain of the boat uh, who vaguely re- he'd shaved his moustache off but he kind of recognized him and could tell that the the the, the secretary who was dressed as a boy had the the the, the manner and shape of a woman or words to that effect um and so just before they went out of radio range to the UK he telegraphed the police saying I think this is Dr Crippen and his lover and this is why I think that the police inspector who'd been investigating took a faster boat and I think it, I think the boat was to Quebec And then when yeah. he arrived in Quebec he, he got there first and as Crippen came off the boat he arrested him oh, wow. so it's kind of <laughs> um, but anyway the, this is yeah, a bit of a digression but the, if, uh, there are some Sources that say you know this film is based on the Crippen case, and it's kind of not quite. It's sort of the the story effectively is saying this is how Dr. Crippen got caught. This guy avoided getting getting caught by staying in the same place rather than panicking. Although he did kind of get caught because he made the you know I mean why why would he? It's it's a bit bizarre. The implication of the story is he's deliberately created the skeleton with the wife's leg bone but with other body parts in order to kind of hide in plain sight but you kind of think why didn't he just bury everything because he presumably no, got rid of the other body parts somewhere
0: no the reason why is the double the double jeopardy thing is to make people right to yes, convince people yeah. that he's murdered his wife because of the leg right but then actually to show that it's not her leg
1: yes yet. i guess so uh, yeah, so yeah. that's how you
0: know he gets freed and you know, how he avoids future uh, court cases on it. Um, Though, of course, the film has to find an acceptable resolution, an acceptable ending for its period, Uh, so um, it doesn't quite go without being punished, though I'll say no more. Exactly,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. In terms of the tone of the film, the other bit I loved was this kind of slightly tasteless running joke about the woman who kept needing to go to the (laughs) toilet.
0: Well, it's actually part of the reason why, and like you, you know, I like this film very much, but I think there is an undertow of misogyny, right? Because, you know, so the villain is this woman, the butt of the jokes is also this woman, and then the object of desire is kind of a bland ideal, yeah? Altogether, there is a soupçon of that that you can't erase, but I don't think damages the film too much. It's, it's, it's no, certainly... and, I, and I think
1: as we we had a similar discussion, I think about um, the, the the previous film in this series. We talked about, and, and I think there's an undertone of it, but of misogyny. But when you compare it to I think other films, other Latin American films of the period, you know, it could have been could have
0: been a lot worse. Yeah. Well, there's a line in the film where it says, you know, in Spain you could kill your you could kill your wife for adultery. <laughs> and and the film I think goes out of its way to say he loves her, he desires her, he's very forbearing, etcetera, etcetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, he's he's not he himself is not like some evil misogynist, but I think the film does have that, you know, that undertow really. Um but in any case, I liked it very much. I thought it was a great film. And the the thing that impressed me is Luis Alcorita, the screenwriter, I mean, I think it's the same year that he writes this film and Buñuel's The Exterminating Angel. Right? So, you know, to have written, like, two masterpieces in one year, I think it's really kind of quite extraordinary because I do think this is a very great film. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and you say, given, given that pedigree, given, you know, given the writer, it's it's surprising. It's he's not as well he's not well known at
0: all yeah, but, um, yeah. well people don't pay much attention to writers that's no, you know, that's true that's part yeah. of the problem and maybe too much attention to directors because again i've never heard of uh i think it's a very great film it's on mubi i urge uh, everyone to see it uh, even if you're not interested in mexican cinema i think this is a very likable agreeable film
1: yeah, yeah, and I, and I think of the, is it three or four of these we've watched so far? I think the, the, if, if you're only going to watch one, I would watch this one. But, I mean, they're all worth seeing, but th-
0: this one really really stands out yeah, so far. It's, it's the most entertaining. All right, well, thank you all very much for listening. We are Thinking Aloud About Film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Bye-bye.